1: You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed.
2: This is the CBS News Weekend Roundup.
3: Coming up...
2: There will not be another foot of wall constructed on my administration
3: the president reverses course they're building a wall after all plus the house is without a leader
0: the office of speaker of the house is hereby declared vacant
3: and there's chaos on capitol hill and a senator is laid to rest she created a world where girls like me could be tough where we could lead Hello, I'm Stacy Lynn in Washington. Allison Keys is off. While President Biden was on the campaign trail in 2020, he vowed there will not be another foot of border wall built on his watch. But he's now reversing course. Earlier this week, his administration waived 26 federal laws in Star County, Texas, to add about 20 miles to the wall. The change comes as the number of migrants illegally crossing into the country has gone up a lot.
4: Hundreds of migrants ran to the U.S. border with Mexico Tuesday night. It's one visual demonstration of the problem that's becoming overwhelming. More than 200,000 migrants illegally crossed into the U.S. last month, the highest level this year. New York City Mayor Eric Adams was warmly welcomed in Mexico, where he's calling for changes in U.S. immigration policy. He says more than 100,000 migrants have arrived in New York since April 2022, leading to an estimated $12 billion in extra spending over three years. We want to
3: give a real picture of what's happening in New York City.
4: Some change is coming in the form of 18-foot high steel panels that will be installed along a 20-mile stretch in the Rio Grande Valley. That requires the waiving of over two dozen federal laws and regulations, breaking President Biden's campaign promise.
2: There will not be another foot of wall constructed in my administration.
4: The president says a law Congress passed in 2019 gives him no choice.
2: They have to use the money for what was appropriate. I can't stop that.
4: The administration also announced it will resume the deportation of migrants from Venezuela. Naomi Ruckham, CBS News. We
3: turn now to the chaos on Capitol Hill. CBS's Scott McFarlane with the latest on the historical vote to remove the Speaker of the House. And what happens now?
5: Half of the U.S. Congress is just paralyzed. The U.S. House of Representatives is technically on recess, but it's the kind of recess any school kid would love. An indefinite recess until a new Speaker of the House is chosen. This standoff, this gridlock happens at a particularly tenuous moment We're about 40 days away from the next deadline for a government shutdown, and there are other big bills that have to pass to ensure federal workers aren't stripped of their paychecks, that service members don't lose their pay, and that families who need social safety net programs for things like food and baby formula don't lose access to those. Two primary names have surfaced in the run to be the new Speaker of the House. Steve Scalise, the House Majority Leader from Louisiana, who survived an assassination attempt in a mass shooting on a baseball field in 2017 and is undergoing treatment for blood cancer. He says he's up for the job and ready for the job and best for the job. Jim Jordan, a Republican from Ohio who chairs the House Judiciary Committee and is a loyal ardent supporter of former President Trump and has received Trump's endorsement for this race is also pursuing it. The big question as House Republicans face a Tuesday candidate forum to hear from these candidates is, well, is somebody else going to jump in the race? Oklahoma's Kevin Hearn has said he might be interested, but the broader issue is who can galvanize 217 or 218 votes from the Republican conference to win this job. There were eight defectors who bailed on Kevin McCarthy and ousted him. He couldn't get the 218. Can Jim Jordan or Steve Scalise bring together a party that fractured publicly, and now famously, on the House floor?
3: Senator Dianne Feinstein was laid to rest this week. She was the oldest member of the Senate, the longest serving female Senator and the longest serving California Senator. Mourners gathered on the steps of San Francisco City Hall, paying tribute to the late Senator Dianne Feinstein. The crowd included powerful Democrats, many arriving from Washington to pay their respects to the trailblazing Senator who helped pave the way for women in politics.
4: Dianne, the women of America have come a long way Our country has come a long way and you helped move the ball forward and our nation salutes you.
3: Fellow Californian, Congresswoman and former House Speaker Nancy Pelosi said the senator left on her own terms, working up until the end.
6: She walked onto
3: that floor last Thursday and voted to advance legislation to keep government open Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer worked with Feinstein for years and said he'd miss her poise and dedication.
5: We also give thanks. Thanks that someone so rarefied, so dedicated and with a sparkling diamond like presence served our country so well.
3: On Wednesday, the public was invited to visit
4: Feinstein's casket and sign condolences, a send off for a political icon, a fighter for California and a friend to many.
7: San Francisco, open your golden
4: gate.
3: Donya is CBS News, Los Angeles. Now to the legal troubles for President Biden's son, Hunter. He's pleaded not guilty to federal charges stemming from his purchase of a gun in 2018. He appeared in a federal court in Delaware this week. Correspondent Katherine Herridge was in the courtroom. I was not more than five feet away. There was a nervous smile and some laughter with his attorneys. The last time the president's son was in the same federal courthouse, a plea deal for two misdemeanor tax charges. And a felony gun offense collapsed, opening the door to more serious charges. As by the judge on Tuesday, if he understood the alleged crimes and penalties, which can include up to 25 years in prison if convicted, Hunter Biden responded in a soft but determined voice. Yes, Your Honor. Off to the White House now, where the president's German shepherd commander is in the doghouse after biting someone last monday night he no longer lives here
6: cbs news has learned there have been more than 11 biting incidents involving the two-year-old german shepherd and secret service officers at least two had to be taken to the hospital for treatment Sources tell CBS Commander also bit White House residential staff and other workers. The dog, a gift from the president's brother, is the second to be removed from the White House.
2: So he's a sweet dog.
6: 85% of the people there love him. He just all he does is lick them and wag his tail. Dog trainer Robert Cabral says canine behavior depends on several factors. When you're
8: dealing with the president's dog, nobody's going to want to correct the president's dog. And sadly, when you're in a position of power, people are going to tell you what you want to hear and not tell you the truth. The truth is, this dog needs structure.
6: The White House is not saying whether a commander is permanently banned from living here or if he will be returning. Weijia Jiang, CBS News, the White House.
3: Coming up, at a meeting in Rome discussing the future of the Catholic Church,
2: Tutti,
8: Tutti, Tutti.
3: the Pope says,
8: Everyone, everyone, everyone must be allowed in.
3: That's next on the CBS News Weekend Roundup.
2: Welcome back to the CBS News Weekend Roundup.
3: I'm Stacey Lynn. A month-long closed-door meeting has begun at the Vatican. Bishops from around the world are joining the Pope to talk about the future of the Catholic Church and dig into some major controversies. CBS's Chris Livesay is there.
8: From around the world, bishops gathering and sometimes clashing on hot button issues. But the biggest bombshell dropped before the synod even began with Francis this week publishing a letter opening the door for priests to bless same sex unions. We cannot be judges who only deny, reject and exclude, declared the pontiff.
10: As queer people, we want to believe that God blesses our love.
8: Jamie Manson, a women's rights activist and devout Catholic, says the change opens the church tent for LGBTQ couples like her and her partner of four years.
10: Affirming and embracing everyone only makes the church stronger. It is a very slim minority of Catholics who are opposed to same-sex unions. Uh,
8: that's what they wish, but it's not. Father Gerald Murray is a conservative priest from Manhattan. For the Pope to say that priests and bishops can find a way
5: to do this, it's wrong. He shouldn't do it. What's the harm in making this uh, this tent, so to speak, bigger for more people? The harm is that it contradicts Catholic teaching.
8: American conservative leaders in the Catholic Church have warned that if Francis doesn't stick to doctrine, he could provoke a permanent split. In his homily to open the meeting, Francis made it clear where his focus lies. Tutti, tutti, tutti. He said, everyone, everyone, everyone must be
7: allowed in.
3: There was a deadly bus crash in Venice, Italy on Tuesday.
7: More than 20 people were killed after a bus carrying tourists crashed off an overpass in Mestre near Venice. The bus fell 49 feet onto electricity lines close to a railway and caught fire. The mayor of Venice spoke of an apocalyptic scene with people trapped in the wreckage. Sabina Castelfranco, CBS News, Rome.
3: Now to the war in Ukraine. Dozens are dead after a Russian missile strike in a village in the northeast Kharkiv region. It's one of the worst attacks on civilians since the war began. Ramian Inocencio is in Lviv, Ukraine.
8: In a playground-turned-mortuary, the grieving looked for their loved ones, many of them barely recognizable. Before this horror, the village of Groza, near Kharkiv's eastern front line, had just over 300 people. Now, it's believed one of every six of them is dead, including a six-year-old child with several more wounded. Many of them had gathered for a wake to remember a neighbor's life, then their own were suddenly cut short. Just two days ago, Ukraine's president, Vladimir Zelensky, made a trip to this region to raise soldier morale. Today, he condemned Russia's attack as brutal. So brutal, in fact, it's one of the bloodiest since the first two months of Russia's invasion. That's when missile strikes killed hundreds in a theater in Mariupol and more than 60 at a rail station in Kramatorsk. This new strike comes as a new poll shows American support for more military aid to Ukraine falling down 5% since the summer from 46 to 41%. I spoke with Alexandra Ustinova. She's a Ukrainian congresswoman overseeing weapons from overseas. She told me the most needed types of weapons right now for Ukraine are air defense missiles. And if they don't have any more of those coming, Ukraine would have hundreds, maybe thousands of civilians dead this winter. For the village of Groza, any missiles that would have come to defend are too late.
3: In Syria, the U.S. military shot down an armed Turkish drone after it came too close to U.S. troops.
1: U.S. commanders assessed that the UAV, which was now less than a half a kilometer from U.S. forces, to be a potential threat. And U.S. F-16 fighters subsequently shot down the UAV in self-defense.
3: Air Force Brigadier General Patrick Ryder.
1: We have no indication that Turkey was intentionally targeting U.S. forces.
3: He called it a regrettable incident and said U.S. troops were forced to go to bunkers for safety as Turkey bombed targets nearby. Fifty years ago, Egypt and Syria launched a surprise attack on Israel on the holiest day of the year. CBS News reporter Linda Gradstein is in Jerusalem. The Yom Kippur War that left almost 2,700 Israelis and thousands of Arab soldiers dead remains one of Israel's largest intelligence failures. Tour guide Yaron Shelach, who lives in the Golan Heights, spoke on an Israeli documentary about the war. The war that happened here, the first two days of the
7: Yom Kippur War, was so tremendous in this area. You know, it left an open wound, which is an open wound
3: until today in Israel society. The war ended 18 days later in a ceasefire. This year's Nobel Prize in Literature has just been awarded. Here's correspondent Kemi McCormick.
11: The award goes to Norwegian author Yun Fossa.
8: While he is one of the most recognized and widely performed playwrights of our time, he has also been acclaimed for his novels, narratives, and poetry.
11: The Swedish Academy said False's innovative plays and prose give voice to the unsayable. His works have been translated into more than 40 languages.
3: And the Nobel Chemistry Prize has also been announced after an embarrassing early leak. Monja Pavendi, Louis Bruce, and Alexei Yekimov won for their breakthrough work creating so-called quantum dots, tiny light-emitting particles now used
10: in computers and medical devices.
0: For a long time, nobody thought you could ever actually make such small particles. But this year's laureates succeeded.
10: Embarrassingly,
3: the winner's names were apparently inadvertently leaked to a Swedish newspaper hours before.
10: But then anyway said no one leaked the news to him. Vicki Barker, CBS News, London.
3: And back to the nation's capital now where Washington's National Cathedral has just unveiled some new stained glass windows in hopes of opening the door of racial unity.
7: The stained glass at the National Cathedral long upheld a stain on our history. This tribute to Confederate Generals Robert E. Lee and Thomas Stonewall Jackson. They've now been replaced with protesters marching for equality. It is pretty brilliant, pretty bright. It's glowing. Carrie James Marshall's art can go for millions. For this, he charged $18.65, a nod to slavery's end. In a church, you're so used to looking up at the windows and seeing white skin. And seeing black skin here, it's almost like you have to do a double take.
2: I don't think these windows exclude anybody. I think the activity and what they're engaged in is something that everybody can partake in.
7: Below are words by poet Elizabeth Alexander, who performed at President Barack Obama's first inauguration. The final line of the poem, may this portal be where the light comes in, that can illuminate the beauty of the past and also sometimes the untruths of the past.
2: I don't think I could have asked for anything more meaningful to have done as a kind of gift to the nation as a whole.
7: Adriana Diaz, CBS News, Washington. Coming up,
3: another strike.
12: I can't live paycheck to paycheck anymore. It's just not fair.
3: This time it's 75,000 healthcare workers. That's next on the CBS News Weekend Roundup.
2: On the CBS News Weekend Roundup.
3: I'm Stacey Lynn. What we were calling the summer of strikes has now turned into the fall of strikes, it seems. 75,000 Kaiser Permanente employees have walked off the job. It's the largest healthcare care strike in American history. We're taking care of lives, you know, health care workers should be valued. Joining her on the picket lines,
6: pharmacists, respiratory therapists, optometrists and other technicians. The union is asking for better working conditions and a $25 an hour minimum wage. Kaiser has offered $21 to $23 an hour. That's just above what fast food workers will soon make in California. We have a lot of people who leave and they're like, you know, why would I work here for the same pay that I can make at Burger King or Target? and not have to come in contact with infectious diseases. Kaiser has a patient pool of nearly 13 million people and more than 300,000 employees. Its profit so far this year, tops $3 billion. Fighting for our patients. In a message to patients, Kaiser said, our hospitals, emergency departments and pharmacies will remain open. We may need to reschedule certain non-urgent appointments and procedures. The three-day walkout began as negotiations intensify for unions striking in other industries. Today, auto workers, culinary workers and screen actors are all at the bargaining table. The economic impact has been profound. Strikes around the country so far this year have meant a loss of nearly 7.5 million workdays, the most in a generation. What would you say to a Kaiser executive if you could talk face to face right now? Kaiser, do better for your patients and for your employees. The nurse we just heard from there also tells me she thinks about quitting the job that she loves every single day due to the current conditions. Meantime, Kaiser is acknowledging that five million healthcare workers across the industry have left since the beginning of the pandemic and burnout is at a record high. Jolene Kent, CBS News, Los Angeles.
3: From one picket line to another, the ongoing auto workers strike. One of the main sticking points is the transition to electric vehicles, which take fewer workers to make.
0: So right now, this plant just opens
1: around six months ago. By year end, this plant will be at capacity and we're going to need another plant.
9: Michael Cronley is CEO of Ascend Elements. It recycles used EV batteries in Covington, Georgia extracting 98 percent of critical metals that can then be reused, a key part of the new EV supply chain.
1: I'm really proud to be part of that, and I know a lot of our team members are also very, very proud to be part of that.
9: In the past three years, more than $90 billion in battery investments have been announced nationwide, creating an estimated 70,000 manufacturing jobs, much of it in a stretch from Michigan down to Georgia, now being called the battery belt. Wan Che is executive vice chairman of battery maker SK On, part of a South Korean conglomerate. After decades of U.S. jobs being offshored, foreign companies are opening dozens of new battery plants in the U.S., SK plans to employ up to 15,000 people in five plants by 2026, including this one in North Georgia, the size of 13 football fields. It can produce enough batteries every year to power 400,000 vehicles.
4: Well, U.S. is the center of auto industry. It's not possible not consider this place as your investment.
9: Matt Lauer left the poultry industry for the battery plant. I love North Georgia, so I was very happy that we got to, to build
13: something like this in here and that I got to be part of something like this.
9: It's also a new economic engine for the nearby town of Commerce, population 7,700.
5: You know, when you have a company investing more than two and a half billion dollars in your community, it attracts a lot of attention.
9: Mayor Clark Hill says his town will build a new school on this old golf course, with payments coming in from the battery plant.
5: We feel like it's not only gonna be good for our citizens, but it's also gonna provide a, a better quality of life for the whole region.
9: A region now re-energized by the battery boom. Ben Tracy, CBS News, Commerce, Georgia.
3: Interesting to hear the other side for sure. Auto workers, by the way, have been on strike now for just over three weeks. Meanwhile, no deal yet for Hollywood actors to get back to work, but they're at the bargaining table this weekend. SAG-AFTRA leadership is sitting down with studio CEOs and the Alliance of Motion Picture and Television Producers Big Boss to try to move forward on ending the actor's strike. That's been going on since July. It is unclear if the same studio execs who helped broker a deal to end the writer's strike last month are working with SAG-AFTRA as well. Well, millions of Americans have had to start making those payments again on their student loans. And with that frustration comes the added stress of scammers trying to take advantage of you. CBS News
10: consumer investigative correspondent Anna Werner with How to Protect Yourself. You will not be surprised to hear that government agencies and nonprofit groups say the scammers have been reaching out to people through robocalls, online ads, emails, even snail mail. They often ask for to provide a bogus service or try to get your personal information. Surprise. Here's what some of those robocalls sound like. Press one now to see if you are eligible to get your loans completely forgiven. This recent announcement could potentially eliminate 100% of your federal student debt. So many of these scammers offer to help borrowers avoid repayment, to lower their payments, get the loans forgiven. So give us some red flags, things we need to be looking out for. So if they're trying to get your personal information Information. First of all, they ask for your federal student aid loan ID. You want to watch out for that. Don't give out personal information. They might say they're with the Department of Education. Um, you should go to the Department of Education or studentaid.gov website. They might offer, as I said, to manage or process your paperwork. You don't have to pay fees for that.
3: All extremely important information to know.
10: Here's a question for you. Is your white COVID card
3: in your wallet, crumpled up at the bottom of your purse, maybe stuck to the side of your fridge with a magnet, or perhaps it's long gone already?
9: Once a staple of the COVID-19 pandemic, the CDC is no longer printing or handing out the white cards that a nurse or doctor would write on to say whether someone got vaccinated. In all, nearly a billion cards have been shipped by the federal government. While they're still valid, major pharmacy chains are saying you do not need the card to get the newly updated vaccine. The CDC recommends keep keeping a copy of the vaccination card for a primary care provider to help make future medical decisions. Matt Piper, CBS News.
3: Switching gears now, one of the toughest Chicago Bears in history, has died. Dick Butkus was a legendary NFL linebacker.
2: Butkus's beat is from sideline to sideline, and he's a tireless, tenacious roamer.
3: Chicago Bears Hall of Famer was drafted in 1965 along with Gail Sayers. After retiring from the NFL at 31, Butkus did some acting.
5: Most people think I'm a real monster but actually I'm quite sensitive.
3: Just last month, Butkus was at Soldier Field when the Chicago Bears kicked off their season against the Packers. The team says his family confirmed Butkus died in his sleep at his home in Malibu, California. He was 80. Jennifer Kuiper, CBS News, Chicago. Coming up on The Kaleidoscope, kids need characters in books that look and think and act like them.
12: It's never, ever been more important than now.
3: We take a look at a study that found more diversity means better reading scores. That's next on the CBS News Weekend Roundup.
4: Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E.com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte.
2: On the CBS News Weekend Roundup.
4: I'm Stacey Lynn, and it's time
3: for the Kaleidoscope. Today we're going to talk about books. If we want our kids to read more, there needs to be more books with characters that look like them or think like them or believe in the things they believe in. Yet books with diversity are so limited. Kyle Zimmers, the president and CEO of First Book, which did a study about just how important this is. Thank you so much for being here today,
12: Kyle. Thank you so much for having me, Stacy.
3: It's such an interesting and eye-opening study. More than half of the nation's youth are children of color, and yet Black, Hispanic, Asian, and Native American students, as well as students with disabilities and students who identify as LGBTQ+, are often
12: overlooked in books. They're underrepresented. That's 100% true, and it has always been true. The publishing industry has tried over you know, the last decade or so to elevate representation of these uh, underrepresented communities. But it's not moving fast enough and it's complicated by local pushback.
3: Yeah, let's talk about that pushback a little bit because last year there were more than something like twenty five hundred books banned in U.S. schools, and this year we're on track to top that number. And I read most of the books were LGBTQ plus or race related.
12: That's right, and and you know what has happened is there has been a largely emotional debate uh, in you know a public debate. And what this study does, what our study does, is inject real facts into what happens for the kids in classrooms when they have access to beautiful, highly diverse books.
3: Yeah, so let's dig into that study a little bit more. Break it down for us a bit.
12: The studies are based on our community of over 575,000 educators all across the country serving kids zero to 18. This current study that we released at CGI is a really important pilot study. We chose 450 classrooms. We studied them for about six months. We infused those classrooms with high quality, diverse books. And then we watched what happens. And it was it was really compelling data, Stacey. It, it showed that collectively, the number of hours the kids in those classrooms read jumped up by four hours per week, and their reading scores jumped up by 3% over nationally expected averages. So the results are crystal clear. Yeah, clearly
3: kids are going to be more interested and invested in something when they feel like they can connect to it.
12: Exactly Right. Exactly right.
3: So what do we do to get more of these books on the bookshelves and reverse the course of taking books out?
12: Well, one strong step forward is to share this data and also to recognize that these books are critical for the development of every single child. This is a diverse country It's The the most recent census showed, I think it was in 2020, showed that 53% of kids in the US are kids of color. So we have to recognize that in order to raise children who as adults can gracefully navigate and capably build their lives and their communities, they're going to have to understand each other. They're going to have to have insight in cultures that, that uh, you know represent the full spectrum of this great country. So it's never, ever been more important than now. I think that we do have to get up off our couches, Stacey. I think the group of institutions that believe deeply in the importance of celebrating cultural diversity, uh, we're, not, we're sort of the silent majority in this discussion and that has to end. I think that's the most critical thing coming out of this study. And I guess this is all about access. The
3: schools need access to these books, books of all kinds.
12: It is all about having the right access, Stacey. First book is a nonprofit with, you know, 30 years of experience of selecting and making available either for free or at the lowest possible cost, more than 15 million books annually. So we're out there really trying to move the needle for Title I schools and programs serving low-income kids and families. But there's another great piece of news. I mean, I think sometimes we start feeling hopeless because the battles seem kind of endless. But the news that we have to uh, report that's hopeful is First Book stepped up about a year ago and we pulled together a coalition called the Diverse Books for All Coalition. It's now more than 40 organizations that serve kids zero to eight years of age. And we've stepped up and we're locking arms to elevate access to diverse books for kids. Uh, In fact, we've made a commitment that we will distribute over 600,000 books together and also to elevate and unify the narrative around the importance of books, these books in the lives of kids. And finally, to reach across and really work with organizations that represent parents and caregivers so that we include them in this movement and we give them the resources they need to understand how to select great diverse books how to use them in their homes, and how to advocate for them in libraries and and schools in their communities.
3: Yeah, we all want our kids to grow and learn and succeed, but they need to be given the tools to be able to do that.
12: Exactly right. I, I think that the importance of this cannot be underestimated. You know, when you look at fourth graders across the United States who are Black, Latino, or Native More than 80% of those fourth graders are not reading proficiently, more than 80%. That is a five alarm fire we have got to address. And what this study shows that we produced is that diverse books in classrooms, in the lives of kids who need to see themselves in everything they read, in the inspiring stories that they read, in the funny stories they read. We have to use these power tools to advance the literacy and the engagement in education for kids, because right now we are not serving our children well.
3: Kyle Zimmers, the president and CEO of
12: First Book, thank you
3: so much for joining us today.
12: Thanks, Stacy. thanks so much.
3: Coming up, there are many triggers for migraines, and you can now add climate change to that list.
2: Migraine sufferers are the best meteorologists because when there's a weather system changing, they get an attack.
3: That's next on the CBS News Weekend Roundup.
2: On the CBS News Weekend Roundup.
3: I'm Stacy Lynn. If you suffer from migraines, you know they're no joke. They can be brought on by certain things we eat or drink or certain things we do. And now you can also blame Climate change for those pounding headaches.
13: Many things trigger migraines, like lack of sleep or alcohol use. But Dr. Cohen says often patients blame the weather and extreme conditions fueled by climate change are now an increasing concern.
2: Migraine sufferers are the best meteorologists because when there's a weather system changing, they get an
13: attack. Weather triggers include intense heat or cold, high humidity, and windy or stormy conditions. Even stress from severe weather can be a factor
2: there could be a relationship with more of these severe weather uh, phenomenon that we're seeing both the United States and globally, an increase in headache and migraine attacks.
13: Dr. Cohen says during this summer's wildfire smoke in the Northeast, headache complaints jumped. But treatments for migraines are evolving too with new approaches and new medications. Doctors can help patients monitor migraine triggers and adapt to environmental changes.
0: Migraines are not something that you should have to deal with on an everyday basis, or even throughout the day.
13: A health struggle that could be growing with our changing climate. Bradley Blackburn, CBS News, New York.
3: Well, storms have gotten more and more severe in the past few years, and they often leave a lot of debris behind. That stuff is usually thrown away. But now there's a growing movement to salvage some of it. As we hear from CBS's Skylar Henry.
2: After stormy weather barrels through parts of Maryland, John Ferrara's crew isn't too far behind. These are the ones that were down in the woods that fell over in the storm. What started as a side hustle with his best friend Paul Timmons has turned into the Cambium Carbon Company. The company saves trees from landfills by partnering with architects, cities, and businesses. Salvaging toppled timber and turning it into sustainable pieces using what they call carbon smart wood.
5: It's like Christmas, every time you cut one of these things open, you have no idea what you're going to get.
2: Cambium has one of the largest non-commercial sawmills on the East Coast. With it, the company handles logs most others can't, off of sides alone. After the process of power washing and cutting through trees that often measure more than 20 feet, the lumber is off to dry. From there, the stories under the bark unfold.
5: A lot of times that material is viewed as a defect, and we really like to turn that narrative around and be able to educate people that it's actually something to celebrate and something to enjoy.
2: Through word of mouth, their mission is picking up steam. They've partnered with cities and towns from Eugene, Oregon to New York City, teaching local operations sustainable wood management and turning what in. was into everything from tables and chairs to signage and even art.
5: All of that carbon is going back into the atmosphere. If we're able to stop that from occurring and we're putting it into lumber, which can make flooring or tables or furniture, actually able to harness that carbon
2: creating carbon negative products and environmentally positive solutions skyler henry cbs news arbutus maryland
3: all right from trees to toilet paper cbs's deborah rodriguez tells us there is something new in the wiping department.
4: Roll it back, everybody.
3: Charmin is introducing new
9: ultra-soft toilet paper rolls with scalloped edges. The company says they provide a better, smoother tear than traditional straight perforated lines that leave you with those neat little squares. And if complaints are any indication, the wavy edges will be a big hit. Procter & Gamble says consumers' number one complaint to call centers is uneven tears from straight perforations that don't match the direction you're pulling in. It's the first change to Charmin toilet paper in 100 years. So
3: are you ready for the holidays yet? Apparently, retailers are. Anthony Kozak didn't come to
1: Target to shop for holiday gifts. It's not even Thanksgiving. Halloween? What are we talking about? October. (laughs) He was surprised to learn holiday deals are already here. Target's Circle Week is offering big discounts for Circle members through Saturday. Now that you know they're offering deals, would you do some of your holiday shopping early? Of course. Who's not looking for a good
13: deal? Mm -hmm. Got to save money wherever we can.
1: Target isn't the only retailer offering big savings. Next week is Walmart's Deals Holiday Kickoff with sales on thousands of items. And Amazon, which held a prime day in the summer, is also offering big deal days October 10th and 11th. And these deals are expected to attract plenty of customers. A recent survey from Bankrate found 50% of people plan to buy holiday gifts before Halloween.
10: We've seen that, you know, that holiday shopping has been kicking off earlier and earlier every year.
1: Samantha Gordon is the deals editor at Consumer Reports and says people buying now should check the return policy and always look to see if what you purchase drops in price.
10: So a lot of retailers have this policy where if you buy something and it goes on sale a few days later, you can reach out to customer service and get refunded the partial difference. Gordon says
1: if you can't take advantage of these October deals, don't worry.
10: And what will happen after that sale is over is a lot of the prices will return to normal for a few weeks and then they'll drop back down again. The
1: next big price drop will be in November around Black Friday, a more traditional time for holiday shopping. Michael George, CBS News, Clifton, New Jersey.
3: Not ready for the holiday shopping yet. And you know what I don't think the whole world was ready for? This Taylor Swift, Travis Kelsey overload. Overload. The NFL's gone a little nuts covering Taylor Swift's appearances at Kansas City games on broadcasts and all over social media. Her rumored boyfriend, Chiefs tight end Travis Kelsey, even agrees.
2: They're they're overdoing it a little bit.
3: He talked about the league's coverage with his brother, Eagles star Jason Kelsey, on their New Heights podcast. You show him once, let him know that they're there. Maybe after a touchdown,
2: you get a little clip, but it, you can't you can't be overboard with it. Yeah. People are there to watch the game, right? Yeah. They're not there to
1: get thrown on TV. I'd the say.
3: Chiefs play the Vikings Sunday in Minneapolis, but still no word of Taylor will be there. Monica Ricks, CBS News. Here's some entertainment news that we are surely doing flips for.
0: Led by the legendary Simone Biles, the U.S. women's team won the World Gymnastics Championships for a record seventh straight time. And
9: yet at the end of it, it always seems to be Simone Biles.
0: Her floor exercise capped the event. For Biles, a total of 33 medals at the Worlds and Olympics. That is a record, too. And this came in Antwerp, Belgium, 10 years to the day and in the same place where Biles won her first medal. Steve Kathan, CBS News.
3: And finally, the McRib is making a meaty comeback. Again.
0: Looks like is bringing home the barbecue.
3: Full disclosure, and feel free to at me all you want at Stacy Lynn News. But I've never tried one. But the boneless pork sandwich smothered in barbecue sauce, onions, and dill pickles does have a huge cult following. It went on a farewell tour last year, remember? And we said, mm-hmm, yeah, right. And we were correct. It'll be back at Mickey D's in November for the very last time, right? And that's going to do it for the Weekend Roundup. Thank you so much for listening. The show's always online on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, and Spotify. We'd love to get your feedback, too. Drop us a line at Roundup at CBSNews.com. Let us know where and how you're listening. The Weekend Roundup is produced at the CBS News Washington Bureau. Sarah Fishman's the technical supervisor. Alan Peng provides production assistance. And Tara Lipinski is the executive producer. Have a great weekend. I'm Stacy Lynn, CBS News.
0: If you like CBS News Roundup, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at wondery.com survey
10: means business. Hi, this is Jill Schlesinger, CBS News business analyst, certified financial planner and host of the Money Watch podcast. This is the show where your money is not scary. It is a show that's all about you. It's your questions that make it possible for me to provide unconventional and entertaining insights on your money and maybe more importantly, on your life